Welcome to Lean Agile Management Podcast, a place where we talk with the thought leaders and top-tier management consultants about the Lean Agile transformation, answer managers' questions, and discuss the hottest topics in management and productivity. Welcome to the land. Today on the show. Are you tired of putting out the fires of your team issues just to see them cycle back? If so, you might be extinguishing the symptoms instead of eliminating the root cause of your problems. Today we'll shine the light on building and sustaining the culture of continuous improvement and how this key concept of lean philosophy can help you solve the team management issues. We're joined today by a professional lean coach, developer of Campbell Foundation courses, and a certified service management consultant, Robert Falkowitz. Today's He's tuning in from Switzerland to talk with us about the continuous improvement in the context of team management. Hi, Robert. Welcome on the show. Hi, hi, Dima. Thanks for inviting me. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Very well. We're glad you could make it. Thanks for tuning in today. It's my pleasure. So I know you have really serious experience helping teams understand and implement Lean and Kanban and you've worked with countless teams in different industries, but why did you decide coaching, in the, coaching Lean in the first place? Could we start there? Yeah, you know, before I got involved in uh, Lean and Kanban uh, in a very serious way, I did a lot of work in service management. And um, what I found, and, and what most people in the field find, is that it's very difficult to justify the effort uh, that you put into improving the way in which you manage services. And uh, I found that the reason for this was that most organizations have problems in the way in which they deliver and manage services, not because of the service management aspect, but because of something much more fundamental, how their teams are organized and how they, how they manage their work, how they manage the flow of work or, or don't manage the flow of work for that matter. And so I said, in order to be able to uh, help my, my uh, customers better, it was important to help them improve where you can make the most noticeable improvements. And then afterwards, we can come back and fine tune it with some service management improvements. And that's how I got uh, started with uh, Lean and Kanban. Would you say there are some general patterns or issues in the way we think about team management that the teams you've been working with could share? Well, you know, there, there are a lot of differences from, from one sector to another sector, especially in terms of regulatory requirements. There will be differences in terms of the the size of the organization, whether they're located at one side or at multiple sides, and there are differences in terms of the, the background and the culture of the, of the organization, how it works. So, so every case is somewhat different, um, and, and you have to be agile in, in adapting the services that you provide in order to help organizations do a better job of doing their work. Would you say that there is some biggest ultimate roadblocks or maybe productivity myths that specifically prevent teams from becoming a high-performing team? Well, what I found is that when organizations try to improve the way in which they work by layering on more controls, what they're doing is, in fact, uh, very frequently exactly the opposite of what they uh, intend to do. 
Now, it's difficult because people have grown up uh, in believing that the best way to improve the way in which you work is to manage better, to check up more, to control more, to have better reports, and to be able to act better on those reports in order to make decisions. And very frequently, this is exactly the opposite of what organizations need to do. So you've got this big change in the mentality of people, trying to get them to think in terms of doing less in order to improve the way in which they perform, rather than doing more. Uh, so I think this is really the, the biggest roadblock. It's the roadblock in people's minds. So if I'm getting it right, you would say that a lot of big, serious issues that teams are experiencing could be prevented with just a simple culture shift. Well, it's very definitely a question of culture shift. Whether it's simple or not is, is another question. Um, Part of the problem that organizations have is they have this background of doing work and changing things via big projects. There's this big project mentality. And so changing culture in some organizations becomes a big project. And they define a target, they analyze a gap, and they make a plan to fill the gap in order to meet a target. And the real issues are issues that are based, in my view, more on trust and confidence, the ability to uh, be a leader, play a leader's role, whether you're a manager or not. And these are things that, that you, you uh, don't see in the plans that people make to change culture. So. They make it much harder than it really needs to be. And I think what you need is to have simple ways of gradually allowing people to improve themselves rather than planning for them how somebody else is going to improve them. And, and, and that's uh, one of the big issues I've, I've seen. Well, let's maybe take it back to Lean and Kanban specifically. So in Lean, there is this concept of continuous improvement. And could you say a little bit more about what actually is it and maybe what it is not? Maybe what do people confuse it with? Right. Well, I think your question is very pertinent because um, what I've seen, especially in the organizations that have this strong project management culture. You, you, you can understand where they're coming from because they were doing a lot of projects, they, they were changing things, and they weren't really doing it in a, in a very good way. And so these organizations started to invest very heavily in developing project management methodologies, creating project management offices, uh, uh, adding a whole series of checks and controls and gateways in order to improve the way in which they were doing projects. So you can understand this, this is where they're coming from, okay? And then um, when you ask people who are coming from that background, what is continual improvement? They'll tell you, well, continual improvement is doing a lot of projects. and. Uh, what they um, don't seem to uh, appreciate is how heavyweight this approach is in terms of every single time you want to do a new project, you have to go through this whole methodology and have all of this overhead associated with it, when in fact, 
Um, you're taking a long, long time to deliver improvements if you deliver improvements, because we all know that a lot of organizations have difficulty completing projects the way they, they wanted to and, and getting the value out of the work that they wanted to. So for me, um, this is not continual improvement. This is doing a lot of projects. This is keeping the project management office busy. This is justifying all of the investment that they made in improving the way in which they manage projects. For me, continual improvement is more a question of empowering all of the different members of the organization to identify things that they can improve locally within their own teams or even within their work individually. But I would put the emphasis on teams um, and finding a good way of doing that. So uh, I, I think that um, uh, is the key factor uh, in being able to do continual improvement. Um, what would be the simplest definition maybe of what continuous improvement is? Um, are there specific steps to it? Is it something you can just find a guide to or is it more of a harder, sophisticated concept? Well, of course, it, it can mean almost anything that you want. And this is one of the reasons that I, I put together uh, what I describe as a continual improvement maturity model. It's a way of helping to uh, helping organizations to assess what they are doing in terms of making improvements. And the idea of the maturity model um, is to define a set of axes by which an organization can assess itself or perhaps be assessed by somebody else, um, and a set of guidelines for deciding what level you're at for each of those axes uh, uh, that is important for doing continual improvement. And then you can see where you are and say, okay, let's work on this area. Let's see if we can do something to improve the way in which we do continual improvement and thereby continually improve the continual improvement that they're doing. Um, that is the, the approach that I've taken. Hmm. Would you say that it usually requires a lot of work and resources for people to establish such a culture of continuous improvement, or does it actually only need some small things to get started with? Certainly, in my experience, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time uh, for a lot of different reasons. Now, of course, each individual within the organization is going to be coming to the question from a different background. Like in every case, there are always going to be a couple of people who are at the front of the pack and, and they're really interested and they quickly see the interest of doing something. There are a number of people in the middle of the pack and you know, they're willing to play along and play the game as long as they think it's going to make sense. And then there are always a couple of people, there's always somebody in a group who says, oh, that's never going to work. Um, uh, uh, and they, they always find reasons why something is not going to work instead of looking for ways of making it to work. So um, we're coming from that kind of background. And uh, so I think it's very important uh, in this case to... Um, try to understand what the motivations and the drivers are and the backgrounds are for each individual if you go into a coaching for a situation, for example, uh, and try to um, get the people within the team 
to take leadership roles and help their team as a whole to make improvements. And that just takes time. It takes time because there's a big question of developing trust. And when people, those people who always resist change, in, in, in most cases that I've seen, it's because they don't trust the, peop the, the people with whom they're working. They don't trust the managers who are telling them what they need to be doing or how they need to be doing it. And they can always come up with a long list of, oh yeah, we've done that before and it didn't work. So there's a problem of trust. And you don't develop trust overnight. You develop trust by confidence building measures. You develop trust by doing simple things and quick things and showing that it can work and then doing more things and showing that it can work even more and doing even more complicated things uh, and more quickly and showing that can work too. And that takes time. You, you mentioned a lot about how trust is so important, but would you be able to say what kind of issues can often be misunderstood for some other team issues and maybe could be even penalized by managers, which could be just solved by gaining trust. So if that's the issue, what are the symptoms sometimes that people are trying to extinguish? Well, as I said, I think that there are uh, some people who look back at what has happened in the past um, and uh, they're very skeptical about the ability to do anything any better. Um, so they're very much focused on the past and not at all focused on the future. There are other people who are, uh, they're know-it-alls. They think they have the solution. And anybody who disagrees with them, anybody who has a different way of going about it, well, they're simply wrong. And it's very difficult to communicate with people like that because very frequently you're not even sharing the same vocabulary. And every time you try to exchange ideas, it turns out you're, you're talking at cross purposes. So there's a big communication issue. Um, in some cases, there, there's a question of, of leadership, uh, a lack of leadership issue. And a lot of organizations, people equate in their mind management with leadership. The leader of a group is the manager of the group. And I don't think this is a useful way to look at it. The leader is somebody who helps other people to do their work and improve what they need to do. Uh, and it could be anybody. It could be a partner in your team who's doing the same work together with you. It could be uh, somebody from another team who reaches out to you and helps you. It can be a manager. It should be a manager. There's no doubt about that. But it shouldn't be limited to the managers. So these are some of the, um, the issues that come up uh, that, that need to be addressed. And how could a manager or a leader in that position best educate team on, on lean culture in this idea of continually improving without them feeling like they're being picked on specifically? Well, <clears throat> one of the big issues you see in a lot of organizations when they try to uh, manage things in a more lean way is that people come to uh, that concept with the preconception that going lean means reducing the number of people on staff. And so all of a sudden, uh, say, we're going to become more lean, and, and people here in their own minds 
oh, they're going to fire 20% of the staff or they're going to fire 50% of the staff. Am I going to be the one to leave? And what can I do to protect myself? So this is a real big issue because it gets people into the wrong, uh, uh, the wrong frame of mind, uh, thinking not in terms of how can the organization itself improve uh, the products and services it's delivered, and in all likelihood, thereby grow. And in all likelihood, if it grows, you will not need to reduce the size of the staff. You'll probably need to increase the size of the staff. It's, it's in the nature of success. You want to do more things. You have more customers. Um, you want to provide more services, more functionality in your products. And that inevitably requires more people. So um, the good way of thinking about it is... If we play the game and make things more lean, we will grow and we will be more successful and we will be more satisfied. So, so this is one of the big issues that we have. Um, <clears throat> there is, uh, uh, I think, the importance of empowerment of the team. Every, every team has this idea of what they think they need to do and what they're obliged to do. What they're obliged to do, either because somebody told them they have to do it, somebody with authority told them they have to do it, or because it's part of the culture of the organization. This is the way they do things. Um, so they think they have to do it in order to get along with the way everybody is working. Um, when you empower them and give them the ability to look at what they're doing and ask the question, is this really helping anybody? Having done this, have I just complied with the policy or have I really added value to the work that I'm doing? When you get people asking that kind of question and empowering them to take steps as a result of the answer that they come to that question, then I think uh, you're, you're on the right track to helping the organization become more lean. And, and lean is not an end in and of itself. It's just a means for making an organization uh, deliver products and services that their customers find more value in. And being able to do that uh, without radically increasing the amount, the number of resources they need to do it. So, so I think that that's um, some of the key things that we need to look at in order to be able to uh, start working in a lean way and making continual improvement. If I'm hearing this right, then instead of what people usually or sometimes might think that lean culture means laying off staff, we might actually end up in a situation where we hire more people and delegate even more responsibilities to them. I suppose there are cases where uh, an organization has really cut back the staff too much, and they simply don't have the skills that they need in order to be able to uh, perform their mission. But more often than not, the real issue um, is that we're, we're very uh, inefficient in the way in which we go about doing work. And, and you know the, the, the famous metrics that uh, tell you that um, out of 100 hours that it takes to deliver something, you're actually only spending five hours of doing valuable work. And all the rest of the time is some type of coordination effort or context switching or, or, or whatever it is that is not really delivering any value. So 
by implementing, uh, for example, a Kanban and being able to improve the flow of work, what you typically see is people can bring that up from 5%, from 10%, way up, way up, maybe five times better, 10 times better, maybe even more than that. Um, so all of a sudden, it's as if you have five times as many people on staff who are able to work that much more effectively and that much more efficiently. So I would say the first step is improve the way in which you're doing work, improve the flow of your work. If then you find that you have a problem in resource liquidity and, and you just don't have the right skills, um, then you can start thinking as a last step about getting more people on staff. That will come eventually, but only if you first make some of the more fundamental improvements in the way in which you do work. And I've heard you say that it's about getting rid of the things that are not adding value, but is it, maybe it's not such a clear concept for some teams because we can, we can talk about value in terms of revenue generation or in lots of different contexts. What would be maybe the typical things to for sure get rid of in every team, no matter which context they're working in? Yeah, this is really a fundamental question because um, in my view, uh, the only value that is really important, the only fundamental value that should, you should be thinking of is the way in which your customers are using your products or using your services in order to improve what they're doing. If, you can't, if they can't justify using your services in order to get more value out of what they're doing, then they have no interest in using your services. If they have no interest in using them, there'll be a lower demand, and eventually your, your business might go out of business. So this is really the key thing. But unfortunately, a tremendous number of organizations are far from thinking of value in those terms. They think of value as something that is inherent in the work that they're doing, and I don't believe that that's true at all. Take a simple example. Suppose you offer a service of sending email, sending electronic messages, okay? What is the value of an electronic message? You can't answer that in, in, in terms of uh, the internal provision of a service. You can only answer that in terms of how are people using it? What kind of messages are they sending? To do what? If somebody sends an electronic message to fix a lunch date with a friend, that has one level of value. If a company sends an electronic message to submit um, uh, uh, a proposal uh, to a company that we worth tens of millions to the company, that's another value to the message. So um, we can only assess value in terms of what our customers are doing with our output. And people are far, very frequently far away of thinking in those terms. They think in terms of the internal work that they're doing. They think in terms of the process that they're working on and compliance with the defined process. Uh, they think in terms of being on time and within budget and according to the plan. And, and, and this is very different from the value that our customers are getting. That sounds like the team would need to sit down and agree on some things and some fundamental framework for how they work, right? Yes. Um, but then would that also need to involve measuring success? Is there a way to to measure your progress towards a healthier process, towards a 
leaner culture in a team? How do you know if your efforts are paying off? Well, the, the whole question of, of what is the value that your customers are getting out of your services or your products is very difficult. Of course, if those customers are external to your organization, you will only know that indirectly. You'll only know that because of what they're buying from you. So you can measure it in terms of the volume of what they buy from you or the, 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 the price that they're willing to pay for the services or the goods that you're selling to them. Okay? If a customer is internal to your organization, then we have uh, perhaps an easier way of trying to measure more directly what that value is. Now, you can do that if your organization as a, is at a relatively high level of maturity and they, they know how to measure value within the organization. Unfortunately, many organizations are not yet there. So when they're not that year, when they're not yet there being able to measure value, we start to put in place proxy metrics things that aren't the real thing you want to measure, but we make an assumption, we make a hypothesis that there's some type of correlation between something that we can measure and what we really want to measure. So we start to look at things like uh, measuring uh, the percentage of time that we spend on work that is actually value-adding work, okay? As an indicator of uh, the... Um, uh, uh, the value of what we're doing. Or another measurement will be something like um, uh, looking at measurements of resource liquidity uh, and, and the various causes for blockage within the flow of work. Now, resource liquidity is, is a very significant uh, cause of blockage within work. So can we measure that? Can we see how frequently do we have a blockage because of a problem of resource liquidity? Um, another example uh, might be simple things like the lead time for the work that we're doing. Um, the assumption is that faster is better, but of course it's not faster all by itself that's better, it's fast enough to meet the needs of your customers. And uh, as you know, um, if you try to do things too quickly, uh, that might be a source of waste because your customer might change their mind in the meantime. The conditions uh, might change in the meantime, and you end up delivering something that nobody wants to use. So it's not so much delivering as fast as possible, but delivering as quickly as needs to be delivered to meet the requirements of your customers. So those are some of the key metrics, um, I think, that uh, uh, we can use as proxies for the value of the work you're doing. Having so many things in mind with all these details, it might maybe seem like a very, very deep topic, but would you say that there is something that successful teams just do differently? Are there any crucial steps or behaviors or milestones that can give you a fast track to a leaner team and leaner company? I, I, don't, I don't think there's a, a, a magic bullet. Um, there, there are patterns that we see um, and if I can come back, for example, to the uh, continual improvement maturity model that I described before, um, what, what I tried to do in that model was for each axis of improvement. So there are, there are six axes that I described in the model. Uh, there is the um, 
the idea of understanding. Do, do people in the team understand what continual improvement is? Then there's the axis of uh, the methods and the tools that they're using. Do they have a method? Do they have an approach to doing continual improvement? Or is it completely ad hoc? Uh, then there's the question of performance. Performance in the sense of, in order to make a given volume of improvements, what is the volume or the effort of work that they need to put in? Then there's the question of, of the momentum the team has in performing uh, continual improvement. Um, do they have momentum? Do they, are they able to deliver improvements at a certain cadence? Are they able to improve and increase the cadence at which they deliver uh, improvements? So uh, an organization that delivers an improvement once every three years that's not perhaps what we might call continual improvements. An organization that delivers an improvement once a month, they're doing a lot better, but perhaps they can um, improve that to once a week or even more than that. So, so the cadence becomes important. And then uh, uh, lastly, there's the question of value. The value, not in terms of what is the value of the improvement that you're making, but rather in terms of is value something that is important in the discussions of the team members in deciding what they're going to do, in, in talking about the work that they're doing? Uh, does it become uh, an important factor? And as we saw before, in many organizations, they don't even know how to think about value, especially value in terms of what their customers are doing with work. So there's an area there where a lot of improvement can generally uh, uh, be made. Now, each organization is going to be different. They're going to be coming from a different starting point. So using the model is a question of assessing where you are along each of those axes and then thinking about making incremental improvements, things that can be done quickly, uh, uh, in a short time frame to help move up the general maturity of being able to uh, make continual improvements. If you can do continual improvement in an effective way, then I think you can become leaner and leaner in a very effective way. So if anything is the key uh, to becoming lean, I think it's continual improvement. And to finish, I would ask one final question. Can we take a sneak peek into the the guide and look at the final stage of the most developed, most mature lean culture? What would the team look like? What are the things that would never occur in such a team? I have to be frank with you. I don't think I've seen such an organization myself. Um, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I, I work in a sector uh, where uh, much of my work is dealing with people who are coming from a service management background and, and they're laggards compared, for example, to people in product management, for people in software development, they're laggards. So I, I don't necessarily see uh, 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 very mature, very lean uh, organizations. Uh, so that, that's one of the issues. The other issue is I'm not sure that there's an easy way of drawing a line and saying, oh, above this line, you are about as lean as you're going to get. I, I think that you know, we, we've defined uh, different methods, different approaches to doing work, such as Kanban, um, 
that uh, are able to make huge improvements in the way in which people work. But if you look at some of the standard statistics uh, that are cited uh, of going uh, from uh, a process efficiency of 5% and saying, if you reach 40%, that's good. Well, all right, that's a whole lot better. I agree with that. But, you know, between 40% and 100%, that's a real big space, too, for additional improvement. So I think that we will probably find new things in the future, especially as we integrate more and more um, artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and robotics. Uh, it will become uh, a situation where the bar becomes higher and higher and higher. And I don't think we're anywhere near uh, 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 the top levels that we can eventually reach. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm glad you could have the time and tell us more about how exactly continuous improvement culture would look like. Well, it's my pleasure, Dima. Maybe we'll see you again here. Well, I hope so. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. If you'd like to keep learning about continuous improvement and get your hands on the continuum improvement maturity model that our guest has mentioned today, follow the links in the description for downloads and more resources on the topic. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Lamp, and we'll see you here next time.